they win in this playoff like match and they're the ones that advance instead of Boston, that people will start killing each other? Uh, maybe, yeah. Hopefully it'll wait until afterwards. I mean, honestly, if the whole 2004 thing didn't happen, this rivalry would have uh, probably a lot higher of a body count. Interesting. Yeah, every now and then you hear the story about someone out in California getting killed for rooting for the wrong baseball team, and I could see a lot more of those having happened if Boston was still, like championship incel status oh i see so this is like a uh what's the word an aggrieved wannabe thing perhaps that's kind of how i would describe incels a lot of bully victim resentment ah i see manufactured or real i mean it all feels real too depending on who you're asking well uh, well of course but so to a to an outside observer you know who might be able to look at incels and say grow the fuck up you're making this all up would an outside observer be able to look at uh, a Red Sox fan and say, you're making it up, shut up? Uh, it depends on whether that person would be able to make themselves similarly vulnerable based on the things they support and enjoy, namely, like, fandoms in general. Mm. Like, there are a lot of different ways to get yourself over-emotionally invested in something that probably shouldn't have any impact on your life, but does because we all have our vices, such as Plants vs. Zombies Heroes, the subject of this podcast, Shroom for Two. I'm Mike. And I'm Taylor. I wonder how much of that will be left in the show. Yeah, yeah, only one way to find out, and if you're hearing this, you've already found out by now. But yeah, there's a uh, there's a baseball game going on right now that is distracting me. Oh, it's one nothing Boston now, so hooray for me and people like me. I was specifically referring to the part where I made fun of incels, because that's like one of those groups that people sometimes try to avoid uh, publicly trashing, you know, for the risk of them freaking out. Ending up on the wrong side of Reddit. Although uh, someone did leave an anonymous one-star review of our podcast uh, on iTunes without, you know, saying anything why they thought that or uh, contacting us with any kind of negative opinion and given that we've never uh gotten any kind of like negative listener mail or like kind of haterade on the pvz heroes reddit i guess to that person all i have to say is uh say it to my face fucker not online and see what happens i wonder if giving poor reviews to things is like the new juvenile trolling of like forum flaming or chat room trolling of back in the day like the fact that it is easier to do that and not get any consequences like there's no one who will ever get their review powers taken away for clearly just giving everything negative reviews but i don't know yeah that guy's a jerk with a very weird axe to grind yeah i mean there's not really any kind of way of enforcing that like if it's you're gonna be able to leave reviews anonymously on a thing taking away your ability to give reviews means that someone is probably just gonna make a new account continue to flame that thing but i don't know i mean you know the star rating systems kind of makes people behave weirdly like you know i've heard of people who have like apps in the app store that cost money and then when a competitor comes out whose app is free people will then like start one starring the paid app because the because the competitor's app is free as though that was like somehow the fault of the app developer who's charging money yeah not to mention that the system has kind of deteriorated towards there are two ratings. There's five stars, and there's not five stars. And for some reason, we have four different gradations of not five stars. Yeah, that's true. And in fact, we do have a Singleton Anonymous four-star review as well. So I kind of wonder what was up with that person's 
calculation about like, yeah, this podcast is good, but they spend too much time talking about things other than Plants vs. Zombies heroes, like trying to psychoanalyze people who leave anonymous reviews of stuff. Or like how Boston scored two more runs during recording this segment. Okay, everybody. Card of the Week time, and this week it is the return of the Haunted Pumpkin. Another one of the stars from our first couple of episodes when it was the event shop the first time around. But it is the one mana solar plant. It is a four attack, two health squash plant. And it says, when played, the zombie player conjures a monster. Yes, good old pumpkin boy. The card that Fry Him Up advocates everyone go after as one of their first couple of, of event cards. And now is your chance to go and get it if you didn't listen to them already. Yeah, I would certainly agree with that because uh, this card is pretty absurd in doing the one thing that it's supposed to do, which is beat them in the face. The um, place where this de- this card really shines is a very, very aggressive deck. And as a solar plant, uh, the very, very aggressive deck of choice that this would slot into is a aggro solar flare deck. Um, if you have spent any time playing zombies on the ladder, uh, you will probably have run into an aggro solar flare deck at least once. Pretty much the collection of the best rate aggro cards in the Kabloom and Solar classes combined with some burn and some strike through creatures. And that is a very potent combination, especially given how cheap a lot of the things with those qualities are um, in killing the zombie player absolutely as fast as possible. Yeah, a very strong deck with a high win rate that doesn't need any legendaries of any kind. Most of the cards are event cards or super rares. You know, perhaps in some absolute sense, it's a relatively high amount of dust for like a for a new player to spend on a deck. But you're right that the number of legendaries you need is pretty close to zero. Re- really, the only legendary that I would think about including in there would be Astrocado. Um, and in the version of the deck that I've got here in the show notes, I'm not playing any. And the reason I'm not playing any is because I think that this deck has enough strike through already to uh, kind of put the game away when it needs to, given that it's got four Apple Saucer, four Elderberry, um, and then some Burn, which is kind of the job that the strike through cards are, are doing. It's like late game Burn to your opponent's face. And in addition to that, all the creatures with a great rate. So Blooming Heart, the one cost 2-2 two, two that grows is an excellent rate. I've got uh, kind of a berry package in here. So I've got 4X High Voltage Current, Shelf Mushroom, and 4X Strawberryan. Not including Sergeant Strongberry, because I think that Sergeant Strongberry is kind of a board control card. And that um, if a 4 cost card uh, is going to go into a hyper aggro deck like this, it's probably going to be one that does a bunch of damage to your opponent's face, namely Elderberry. Yeah, definitely a, a reasonable argument there. Aggro Solar Flare curves uh, very low to the ground, a lot of cheap stuff, and one of those things where you can play out all of your cards very quickly. Still, even beyond your recipe, there are a lot of other different ways you can take this between a Velociraptor Hunter and a Wild Berry, any number of things that can, that can go perfectly fine in there, and just the sheer number of threats you can get onto the board at very early stages in the game is why this is so overwhelming. Yeah, Wildberry is definitely one of the cards that I thought about including in here. The the twos that I'm including instead are Apple Saucer, which should be obvious. It's a two-cost 3-2 three, two that gets striked through in the late game, so that's great. Uh, Berry Blast, which is burn, so of course it's great. Fireweed, which is it's a two-mana 3-3, three, three, which is something that you want. You can play it on the heights and ignore the whole lava thing. 
Uh, and so you got good rate there. It also allows you to play a good statted creature while paving over an opponent's environment, which is something that you're going to want to do. Then the final two is Shelf Mushroom, which as a 2-3 is a lot more likely to stick around to be able to uh, give you an evolution trigger off of Strawberryan uh, than the Wildberry, which is a 4-1, you know, ostensibly a card that will deal more damage than the uh, Shelf Mushroom will, but uh, with one health is just a lot, lot more fragile. Yeah, I think Shelf Mushroom gets a little overlooked because it is the newest of these cards. Like, Agro Solar Flare was kind of already set as being a really good deck before Set 4 even came out. And that just became kind of, okay, yeah, this is good, but are we sure it's really good enough to merit taking out whatever else we're running? The uh, the card you're running here that I would probably not run if left my own devices was the, uh, the Primal Sunflower. You want to tell me about why you're going with that? It was the last card that I chose to include in the deck. I think that uh, there's a very strong argument to be made for the other 36 cards in the deck. Shelf Mushroom has a little wiggle room, like I was saying before. Uh, but with Primal Sunflower, you've got a card that has some utility um, because the ramp is kind of doing the, um, the slightly less obvious use of ramp, which is not to ramp you into a card that costs more, but into ramping you into playing multiple cards. So, you know, to a first approximation, half the deck costs one and half the deck costs two. Uh, so if you play a Primal Sunflower on turn one, you're able to play a two-drop and a one-drop on turn two, um, which is one of the ways that this kind of deck, especially with the block meter mechanic in this game, you want to be able to get your hits in where you can. And so uh, to have your big power one-drops uh, that you're able to kind of sneak through by deploying more than one of them in a turn, um, I think that Primal Sunflower is a good inclusion because it helps you do that. Having more good one-drops is never a bad idea, especially when you have uh, one that will trade with Cheese Cutter. Do you always play the uh, the high voltage current on turn one? Like if it's turn one, do you just drop current regardless? Um, I wouldn't say that I always do it. Definitely one of its big reasons that it's there is to A, evolve Strawberryan, B, have a chance at giving you a, another berry blast, and then C, just as like a chump blocker. So if you've got a very berry-centric draw, like if you can curve um, high voltage current into shelf mushroom into strawberryan um then yeah i might play it on turn one because especially if you play it further to the right so that the stuff um that's attacking before it will buff it given its other power buffing power yeah always always play it in lane four uh yeah i mean you know unless you think that they're gonna like give minus one minus one to the to the lanes on the ground but if they spend that card giving your high voltage current minus one minus one then you know, that's a win for you, especially because incrementing their block meter by dealing only one damage is kind of not what you want to do with a deck like this. You know, so like if they played something like a Zombology Teacher or a Disco Knot on turn one, I would absolutely play the high voltage current in front of that because whatever you're going to draw off of it is probably going to be better than the current as far as um, damage dealing potential. Um, and, you know, you got to two for one your opponent, which is not something that an aggro deck really gets to do that often. I think that's what I've come to the conclusion of as well, in that, yes, yeah, sure, it is kind of terrible to have the current hit you hit your opponent for one, but I like giving them the opportunity to make a bad trade, either if I can get them to waste a Rolling Stone or a Bungie Plumber or even that uh, Trapper Territory environment or a Nibble, just, or, 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 tell whichever superpower they have if i can get them to use that on the current when the card i'm conjuring is really the card i'm more interested in then i will always do that and furthermore haunted pumpkin is awesome on turn one 
but it is not always a good idea on turn one based on which hero you're playing. If you're playing against, say, Immortitia or Rustbolt on turn one, and they pass turn one with no play, uh, and you play Haunted Pumpkin, there is a reasonable chance that you're going to get blown out because both of their superpowers uh, line up extremely well with Haunted Pumpkin. Okay, here, here are the bad ones. Like, the ones where half of the superpowers will just make you feel like an idiot. Immortitia, Neptuna, Boogaloo, Z-Mac, uh, Infinity, really any crazy hero because of Bungie Plumber. Like, Rust, uh, the Smash, sure, yeah, it sucks if they have to waste their ultimate on there. When I was playing around with Agro Solar Flare the other day, I had, like, three smashes in a row open with that following my pumpkin, which was uh, irritating. Yeah, I mean, you know, if they have to trade their ultimate superpower for your random one-drop, like, theoretically, that's a reasonably good trade for you. Um, the reason that I specifically highlighted Rustbolt and uh, Immortitia is that their superpower, their ultimate superpower, not only deals with your thing, but also draws them a card. Um, and in the case of Rustbolt, it's even worse because instead of killing your thing, they leave a 1-2 behind, um, which is like incrementing their block meter for a pittance worth of damage, which is like absolutely the wrong plan uh, for an aggro deck. And uh, B, clogs up a lane. The only thing that you can you can evolve onto a Haunted Pumpkin is the Elderberry on turn four. Um, so, like, that is basically tantamount to killing it. Ice Spore, also not bad in this kind of deck because of all the one-drops you're running. Sure. You know, that that um, does get to something else that I kind of wanted to mention about this deck. So, Ice Spore is a card that says, Fusion, destroy a zombie in this lane. There are a handful of cards in here that either want you to overwrite them or give you a bonus when you overwrite another plant with it. In all of those cases, you get a pretty good benefit. Shelf Mushroom shocks a thing, Strawberryan draws you a Berry Blast, and Elderberry gets plus three attack, which on a Strike Through creature is extremely good. So you're getting this great benefit, but you're kind of front-loading an additional cost. That is often a mechanical hallmark of very aggro factions in card games, is that, like, you know... You can present the ability to two-for-one your opponent, but you kind of have to two-for-one yourself at first. So you're really kind of doing a three-for-two where you have to pay the cost up front. So if it goes badly for you, um, then you're a net negative. And so I think that that is a very interesting mechanic to try to play with. It kind of like puts you to the test of like, are you able to actually get all the value out of this card combination? You get to see what it says on the tin. Um, you know, are you good enough at the game? or deck building to be able to actually extract all that value. In many cases, it's pretty easy. I mean, you know, evolving a Strawberryan onto a high voltage current or something is like you drew a great burn spell and you didn't really have to give up very much in order to do it. So it's not like saying that it's super hard, um, but that additional layer of challenge um, is an interesting design concept and uh, makes the deck fun. I found myself taking out the uh, Strawberryans recently because I'm that much more terrified of Garg throwing Garg. Well, I guess my response to that is, if you're playing an aggro solar flare deck, and they play a Garg throwing Garg, you lost like three turns ago. Yeah, that is a fair assessment. Uh, but yeah, aggro solar flare, um, if you want to uh, cheese out a bunch of zombie opponents because you're sick of playing against Valkyrie Brainstorm or whatever, this is an excellent deck that allows you to do that. Alright, on to our main uh, segment this week. This is a card crafting recommendation segment something that we noticed when we were kind of halfway through doing the class warfare stuff was that you know we were making recommendations for super rares events and legendaries to craft but really the people that need the crafting recs are the ones that 
have the fewest sparks to spend. And the people who are kind of short on sparks probably ought to be crafting some of the really like workhorse uncommons and rares rather than the uh, the super expensive stuff. Yeah, and a few months ago when I started my free-to-play account, I got a better idea of what kind of crafting budget you were dealing with as a new player and how slow you were to get sparks early on while you were still building your card collection. And I learned like how many cards you were able to give yourself at a time and like which cards you really needed to help give your starter deck a boost in strength. Uh, so to that end, uh, Mike and I have looked at every class and selected an uncommon and a rare that we would recommend that new players use their limited spark supply on crafting. Yep, we both built these lists independently, and we're probably going to have a lot in common, and let's have a little wager to see how many of these 20 cards do we think we got in common. Because I'm going to say we get 14 of them in common. I'm going to take the under on that. I w if I went first, I was going to say 11. All right. And uh, you at home also post your wagers in the Discord channel. I don't know. So uh, are we actually wagering anything on this? Uh, maybe like a point in the lifetime versus ranking. Oh, geez. Okay. All right, then. Let's get started. All right. And first up, I got the Guardian one. And I took Photosynthesizer. I took Spikeweed Sector. Yeah. Uh, as I've talked about before... I love Photosynthesizer. I think it is great. You get to add like 50 really good Galactic cards to your deck potentially. It can even give you environments. So if you're super new and don't have any environments yet, you can sometimes get one off of this. I selected Spikeweed Sector because I think that having environments is a pretty important thing for a new player to do. Like there are a lot of zombie decks that if they're not appropriately running environments of their own, Spikeweed Sector just kind of says you can't play creatures here for the entire rest of the game. Kabloom up next, and I went with Very Angry, the three-mana trick that gives everything plus two attack. Uh, I went with Mushroom Ringleader, the three-cost 0-1 that gets plus two attack for every other plant. I picked that because new players kind of need to find the power points where they can, and the fact that this is a total glass cannon, while making it kind of unattractive to a really enfranchised player, probably would still find a home in a new player's deck. I went with Very Angry because... So many of the Kabloom starter cards are cheap little tokens, or if you're playing Solar Flare, you get all those little sunflowers as well. And I just like this as a way to give your field a lot more attack and be able to, to do damage more quickly. And like if you're playing Spadao, then I like this way better than, say, running a uh, like the Spineapple package. Like if you're going to run the Walnuts and stuff, then run Berry Angry, because then you can power up your Sting Beans as well. So for Mega Grow, my selection for the Uncommon was Sweet Pea. Yup, ding. Yeah, the two cost two three that says when you play it, move a zombie to this lane. It's an excellent, excellent board control card. Has a place even in uh, decks that are packed with legendaries and uh, great rates. Uh, two cost two three is a perfectly fine rate, and moving a zombie over to that lane is a great way to snipe uh, nasty things that could otherwise give you trouble in the early game. Yep, fantastic card all around. Handles problem things like arm wrestler and toxic waste stamp. Works well with torchwood. You can give it four attack. You know, so you can take out like a like a turn three mascot imp, which is really nice. My smarty uncommon was iceberg lettuce. I had grave mistake. You are presented with the freeze mechanic uh, very very early on. I think it might even be one of the first keywords you even encounter. There are a whole lot of power points packed into um, snowdrop, the one mana one two that gets plus two plus two whenever a thing gets frozen. That thing is gonna win a lot of new players their games. The reason I went with Grave Mistake was because 
I imagine if you're going with the Smarty card, you're playing as Green Shadow, and Green Shadow doesn't really have any other way to deal with Gravestones, aside from, like, Cool Beans. So I figure just being able to give yourself that kind of advantage that you don't usually have and be able to turn it into a, a source of card draw, which is hard for plants to find, and just being able to do something against Gravestones, good early add to the free-to-play Green Shadow deck. All right, uh, now I know that we're going to agree on this next one. Is it Apple Saucer? Yeah, it's Apple Saucer. Of course it's Apple Saucer, because Apple Saucer's great. Yeah, Apple Saucer's kind of nuts. The fact that it can get strike through later on is really big. If you're playing Solar Flare, you can play Apple Saucer, and you can play Berry Angry to give this a five attack strike through. I'm not sure if we're going to agree on this or not. My Solar Rare is Cosmic Flower. No, I went with Elderberry. Um, that if you're a new player, you really want to see cards that you don't own yet, and Cosmic Flower gives you access to a bunch of stuff that you might not currently have. Do you know what else you want to see if you're a new player? Five strike through damage. I think seeing five strike through damage is a tremendous thing to the new player experience, and will keep people sticking around for a while if they can turn their walnut or their sunflower into a five attack strike through guy for only four mana. Going back up to Smarty, my uh, rare crafting recommendation is the Chili Pepper, for pretty much every reason you said when you talked about Iceberg Lettuce. Uh, okay, that's legit. Mine was the Admiral Navy Bean. Beans are also a tribe that you're presented with a lot of. This is a card that will not get outclassed by other cards that you want to own later. Berry Angry or um, Iceberg Lettuce are good for their position in your new player experience, but other stuff you get will surpass it. But Admiral Navy Bean um, is kind of the best at doing what it does. It has further build-around-me potential, um, and you're definitely not going to regret crafting it. You could probably guess what one I'm going to pick for this one. Um, I pick for the Mega Grow Rare is Repeat Moss. Huh, okay. I went with Plant Food. Repeat Moss is a deck all by itself, and Captain Combustible's superpowers alone are kind of good enough to build a Repeat Moss deck that can really get you there. I just like having Plant Food as an option, because Mega Grow doesn't have a lot of ways to really get rid of threats, and just being able to trade with something big in front of you for free and then be able to attack face that turn is a is a big help in a kind of mega grow style where you want to grow up your stuff really big. Kabloom coming up next and uh did you pick yours after a podcast name as well? Ooh, uh I don't think so. What did you pick? I picked Shroom for 2. Oh no, I did not pick that. I picked Chrome Magnolia. Oh, okay. All right. Well, uh, explain yourself. Shroom for 2 is just kind of a dork and Chrome Magnolia is a finisher. And I think that what new players would lack is suitable finishers. And there's still a lot of stuff in the Kabloom core that is something that Shroom for Two wears very well. Like, you get buff Shroom, but to start out, you only have the little 1-1 button mushrooms to buff up with it. And, like, it works really well with Berry Angry. Like, throwing a Berry Angry on that is suddenly 6 damage in one lane. It's in Cycle Cap, so it has that high-end desirability. It's in anything with Pine Clone. Like, it's just a very good building block to have, and a lot of the stuff that Kabloom's all about works really well with it. Rounding out the Guardian Crafting Rex, my rare pick for a Guardian card is the Grave Buster, the two-mana trick that destroys a gravestone. Boring, but... Mine too. Grave Buster is just too utilitarian. It's just so good, you want to play it in pretty much every Guardian deck. I can think of some of these that we definitely have in common, though. Maybe starting with the Beast Class and Alien Ooze? Uh, no, actually. I picked Nibble. Oh, okay. Alien Ooze does one thing, and it's really, really good at it, which is being a hard removal spell for three most of the time. Um, but Nibble kind of does a lot of stuff. Uh, Nibble can gain you life. Nibble can snipe Navy Beans. Nibble can help you win trades. 
All right, now there were a bunch of options in Brainy. What'd you pick for Brainy? I picked Beam Me Up. I picked Chimney Sweep. The one cost 3-2 that is just like so good at absolutely smashing them in the face. Two of the zombie decks that new players are going to be drawn to really early on is the the Throwing Star Imp, Smoke Bomb, Move Your Dudes Around deck. Chimney Sweep is really good at that. And the like hyper-efficient uh, Rust Bolt Sports deck. And that Chimney Sweep is really good in that too. I suppose giving a Super Brains player more turn one options than Paparazzi and Mini Ninja is a good thing. While Chimney Sweep is a phenomenal turn one play, I think turn two Beam Me Up is the best play zombies have, followed closely by pretending you have Beam Me Up. I just love the freedom of teleporting in something at that point in the game. It can help take out so many big threats like Punish Shroom or Double Mint or Lily of the Valley or just any number of things can swoop right in and punish it. It takes out a Solar Winds to neutralize that. We probably picked the same thing for Crazy, given that you get the Bungie Plumber as a freebie. I don't know. I went kind of out there with mine. What'd you pick? I picked the Space Ninja. Oh, I picked Unlife of the Party. For doing any kind of swarmy thing, yep. One of the decks that made me really fall in love with the game was the, the Dancing Boogaloo, because, like, one of the best payoff finishers in the basic set, I think, is the Flamenco Zombie. I went with Space Ninja because of the one combination of playing a Space Ninja in some environment and then giving it deadly with a barrel of barrels. You can only do this as Infinity, but I think it's so good to have that kind of cheap, deadly field clear for a bunch of uncommon cards is a really good thing to put into a young deck to play above your weight class. Foreshadowing the fact that we probably both pick barrel of barrels for the sneaky one. Um, yep. Let's just go out and say that right now. Yep, barrel of fun. So I think that we probably picked a different one for Hardy, um, mostly because I did not pick Arm Wrestler. Uh, what did you pick? I picked the middle manager. Uh, that's the one I picked. Oh, look at that. All right. The thing that you really want is the Conjure Professional. There are like a huge number of professionals randomly peppered into the uncommon rarity. You kind of start with a professional deck almost immediately. Also gives you a chance to get cards that are above the quality that you own like every time i conjure a kitchen sink zombie off of it or uh, a mixed up grave digger i feel like like i'm getting away with something speaking of um conjuring cards that players don't have my my rare pick for sneaky is the buried treasure oh so we're just gonna blow past barrel of barrels all right like completely i mean what else do we need to say about it like we've no way to go wrong with four copies of barrel of barrels it'll be the best 200 sparks you ever spent so what did you pick for your sneaky rare very treasure. Uh, we were the same. Yeah, it's great. So happy that it's as good as I thought it looked when I first saw it. Conjuring a legendary card means you get to do all kinds of weird crap, and uh, the fact that it's stapled onto a one-mana 2-2 um, is extremely good. My hearty pick for Rare to Craft is the Zombie Coach. Uh, I pick Sumo Wrestler. Both, once again, going with the idea of making a free-to-play sports deck. These are both core component cards, and why did you go with the Sumo Wrestler? Um, I went with Sumo Wrestler because it's good early and it's good late. So the reason I went with the coach is because when I was playing my free-to-play Smash and had kind of a half a sports package in there, I never actually opened any sumo wrestlers, was still doing pretty good with that. I like the coach as a follow-up to Mascot Imp, which it is a basic card, and it's a 1-4 that gets 1-1 one, one bigger every turn. And even if it didn't boost the other sports stuff on the field, if it just boosted itself 1-1 one, one every turn, it would still be incredible. But the fact that you can follow that up with a coach to make both of them immune for another turn is a way to really uh, secure yourself a lot of games. My crazy rare, I'm going with the Gizzard Lizard. Uh, I went with Final Mission. Not only is it a great card, even though it costs two now, it's less useful as a, just a spell now because cost two really is you know not a real amount to pay. But it's a great teaching card for, hey, doing damage to opponent's face is like the important thing to do 
in the late game of an aggro deck game as well. And my pick for the crazy rare card to craft is the Gizzard Lizard, the three mana three three monster zombie, where if you evolve it on something, it'll do two damage to everything on your opponent's field. I really like this card over chickening, which is a four mana trick that does the same thing, because things that fire at the start of your turn screw up with what Lant had planned for their turn is really powerful. Stuff that does bonus attacks at the start of the turn are really powerful. And so, like, a big field clear before they can turn all their stuff into pine clones or whatever is is a big help. And with the cheap decks, you're going to be running a lot of um, cheap creatures anyway, so you'll have plenty of stuff you can uh, use to power this up. And uh, coming up on the end of the list here, we got my brainy pick for a rare card to craft. And I'm going with the helicopter, the six-mana trick that will summon a 6-5 helicopter because of how well it works with all of Super Brain's bonus attack stuff. They can have this big, huge beat stick to come in there and attack for 6 and then bonus attack for 6 again. I picked the Cosmic Scientist mostly because A, you get to see cards that you don't own, which is fun, and B, something that new players often really like to do is to buff stuff. It's really fun to put pants on your creature. New players have access to a pretty good stable of buffs. Cosmic Scientist is one of the best ways to put the buffs on. Uh, and what did you pick for your uh, final beastly card? I have the Squirrel Herder. So do I. Okay. Really good metagame pick. Yeah. Even if berries do eventually get nerfed, it's unlikely that you will stop seeing them in large proportion on the ladder because they just work so well for linear tribal stuff. There's pretty much no way to do better than it. Strawberry and Sergeant Strongberry just have so much power in them that uh, not only killing those, but disrupting the early berries... But it also serves as a powerful tool against Picanolith and a Mirror Nut and Sporticus and Wing Nut is another one that's really hard to deal with. If you're up against a Berry deck and you've got that Squirrel Herder, you want to hold on to it because ideally you want to use that to eat a Sergeant Strongberry and not have it kill like a High Voltage Current or a Shelf Mushroom. Agreed. I mean, I would say that killing Shelf Mushroom is good because um, then uh, they don't get air off of Division. Uh, and that was when the goblins at Comcast decided Taylor had enough internet for the night. So it is up to me, future Mike, to close the show out. And thank you all for listening to Shroom for Two. I'm sorry this episode was a little bit late, but a lot of the time of the week I usually spend editing was spent flooding and unflooding my bathroom. So, yeah, apologies, but that took priority since there's actual water everywhere. Or there was, but I cleaned it all up. I'm also working on some stuff for the YouTube channel, which should be up by the time we do our next episode. And uh, go and subscribe to that. We're putting out more content there. I'm doing some team battle fight episodes every week. I'm continuing to do really well. I just beat up on a, on a Z-Mech yesterday. And subscribe to us, because that's the best way to show your support for the show. Like, we're not asking you for money or anything like that, but seeing the little subscriber number go up makes me feel nice, because, you know, there's, like, passive fans, and there's uh, active fans, and it's nice to see we get more active fans. Shout out to that guy who comments first on all our YouTube videos. Anyways, I'm Mike, and that was Taylor, and this was Shroom for Two, and the future's great because the Yankees are out, and the Red Sox are in, and go leave us a review on iTunes. Don't be like that tool from the beginning of the show. Go Red Sox. Oh, and everyone go send in your Valkyrie Professor Brainstorm decks. Shroom for two podcast at gmail.com.